Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We have a great show for you today, but first, I want to ask you for a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, that is. Also, take a second to rate and review our show in your podcast app, especially if you're a regular listener. That will help other people find us. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get started. Depending on the volume of your speaker or headphones right now, listening to this podcast could be damaging your hearing. But protecting our ears is something many of us just don't think about, even though more than 37 million Americans have at least some trouble hearing. Unlike trouble with other senses, like vision, many people do next to nothing to cope with the problem. Our guest, writer David Owen, sums up the usual approach to hearing issues this way, do nothing and hope for the best, usually while pretending that everything is fine. Owen has firsthand experience. He lives with a hearing disorder called tinnitus, or tinnitus, which affects about 25 million American adults. And he writes about the condition and other issues related to hearing in his book, Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. David Owen, welcome to Health Now. Thank you. Your book's title mentions hearing in a deafening world, referring to the sheer number of sounds around us that are really loud enough to damage your ears. And obviously there are things that people recognize as hard on the ears, like rock concerts, jet engines, those kinds of things. But then there are everyday things or places that can be damaging as well. What are some of the things that people may just not think of as being hard on their ears? Well, you know, I always used to laugh at my wife because she would wear earplugs when she used her food processor, but it's a good idea. Wow, a food Um, processor, really? Um, and I now, you know, when I vacuum, I now wear earplugs. Her hairdresser uh, has now has two hearing aids, bilateral hearing aids, uh, just from, from years of exposure to professional quality blow dryers. Wow. And it's not, un, not uncommon among hairdressers. There are also health effects that at volume levels that don't cause physical damage to the ears, but cause psychological damage. The sound of traffic, which might not reach the level of um, necessary to cause physical damage to the inner ear, can still be, uh, can still cause insomnia, difficulty concentrating at work, um, uh, the increased incidence of uh, diabetes, um, heart, heart problems, and, and just kind of a, a long list of health problems that have nothing to do with hearing. The, there have been studies that have been done by the World Health Organization and others that show that it actually living along noisy transportation corridors under flight paths next to train lines um, can cause reduced life expectancy. And, and students who attend schools that are near noisy transportation corridors can have trouble concentrating. They don't learn as much as, or as well as uh, kids who are in quieter environments. So there are lots of effects that the, the sounds of our world uh, have on us. Many of them are related to, to hearing. And then beyond that, uh, you know, we evolved in a sound environment that's very different from the one we live in. We make a lot of noise and it affects us. Right. We've invented a lot of things that make a lot of noise that yes, uh, we have. affect our, our hearing over time. Um, and we like almost all of them. Right, exactly. We're not willing to give many of them up, that's for sure. No. A lot of people assume that hearing loss is just a natural part of getting older. But is that necessarily true? Yeah, there have been a couple of studies that have indicated that people refer to age-related hearing loss, but there have been a couple of studies of uh, indigenous populations in places that are isolated from the noise of the modern world. Uh, And people there in their 70s and 80s have been shown to have hearing that's just like uh, the hearing of uh, the undamaged hearing of young children. So Mm -hmm. what we think of 
as hearing loss caused by aging may just be the result of you know the the accumulated effects of sound exposure during our lives. Uh, and I think also that young people will often think of hearing loss as a, an old people problem, and that's where we're most likely to see it. But as in my case, as in, in most people's cases, it's an old people problem that was caused by things that we did when we were young. So for me, the really uh, damaging sound exposures that I had were mostly it was the rock concerts, the lawnmowers, the power tools, and it was it was mostly things that I did in my teens and 20s and 30s. But now that I'm in my 60s, it's not the, the sounds that I'm exposing myself to now. Right. But they were thing, your hearing was not something you were thinking about when you were a young person, probably. No, definitely not. And, and grown-ups would say to you, you know, don't snap that towel uh, at your friend. Don't shoot BBs at each other. Don't throw things. You might put out an eye. But I don't remember ever being warned that something I was doing might hurt my hearing. And I even had a very obvious example in my my grandmother, who, when she was a young woman, was taken on a was taken hunting, duck hunting, by a bow, and uh, he aimed his shotgun by resting it on her shoulder. And when he fired, oh, uh, he not only missed the duck, but also virtually deafened her on that side. And 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 the effects increased um, uh, through her life. And she had big trouble hearing. And I, I have my almost all my memories of her involve her involve her hearing aid or include her hearing aid, which was big and and bulky and would would often make a a, a, a piercing feedback sound that she uh, usually couldn't hear herself. There were reasons to be worried about it then, but I wasn't. For someone listening now who wonders if they may have a problem with hearing, but they're just not really sure, can you talk to us about some of the earliest signs of hearing trouble that maybe in the early days you might write off as something else, but would maybe turn out to be a warning sign? I think what often happens is somebody else will notice. Spouses often notice first, but when they mention it, very often the the affected spouse is, you know, reluctant to acknowledge it, even if they spend lots of time saying, what, what, what? So very often it's people around us. The reason it's hard to notice in yourself is that in most kinds of hearing loss, the effects are gradual. You stop hearing things that you used to hear. It's, it's in most cases, it, it, it's it's not a sudden immediate loss that you would that would be striking but i think there are when you find yourself turning up the tv to the point where it bothers other people when you have trouble having conversations with people in relatively quiet environments almost everybody as they get older has trouble in hearing conversation in noisy environments but if the trouble is severe it's an indication of a of a hearing loss i mean what i would i would ask as i was working on this book i would ask people i said how's your hearing is it always oh, fine you know except when i'm in a restaurant and it's always a restaurant that people talk about and there are a couple of reasons for that one is that as especially as we get older it's it's hard to pick individual voices out of the general hubbub of a restaurant. Another is that restaurants are often intentionally uh, loud places. Uh, and they will, in, in fact, uh, if they're playing background music, they'll turn it up as the night goes on because it, uh, people, when, when people can't hear uh, the people they're dining with, they tend to uh, drink more and leave faster. Wow. Uh, and so it... <laughs> Business decision, for, I suppose. <laughs> it's good for revenues and it drives out older customers and, and makes room for younger customers who are more likely to drink more. So if, you're, if you do have uh, hearing difficulties, it, it often makes sense to go out. If you're going to go out to eat, to go out early. You have a condition called tinnitus or tinnitus, some people say it that way, that affects your hearing. Describe what the sensation is for anyone who's not familiar with this condition and how did it begin for you? 
yeah, medical pro- professionals almost always say tinnitus and civilians say tinnitus. But tinnitus is a sort of a phantom sound in your head. It's a ringing in the ears. And for me, it started uh, 10 or 12, uh, I guess 12 years ago. And I associate it with a trip that I took to China. I got the, one of the worst colds I've ever had in my life. It took like about a month to go away. And when it went away, I noticed that this ringing in my ears. I went to see my doctor. I said, my ears are ringing. He gave me a kind of a crude hearing test. He banged a tuning fork on the table and held it up. He said, tell me when you can't hear it anymore. And we sat there while it was humming away. And then eventually he leaned forward because he couldn't hear it anymore. He's just about exactly the same age I am. Tinnitus is usually associated with hearing loss, not always. It's not a real sound. It's a phantom sound. Uh, It's uh, electrical activity in the circuitry of the auditory circuitry of the brain. And uh, sad to say, uh, there's no cure for it in in almost all cases. There there are a few kinds that go away when the condition that causes it goes away. But for most part, if you have tinnitus, the only thing you can do to treat it is to get better at at ignoring it, which I've always been pretty good at doing. But what I found is that the worst thing you can do about tinnitus is write about it because then you think about it all the time. So <laughs> right. <laughs> while I was <laughs> while I was working on the book, I uh, I was much more aware of it than I had been before that. And incidentally, tinnitus is the number one service-related health claim made by uh, military personnel, military veterans. Uh, and deafness is the second. The reason is that uh, they, they're exposed to very loud sounds, uh, not just gunfire and explosions, but also just the sort of the general volume level of mil- military life. It's very loud, you know, generators. And in, in, in fact, you know, working on, a, on an aircraft carrier, an aircraft carrier is one of the uh, the loudest work environments in the world, and you can harm your hearing simply by sleeping in your bunk under the flight deck uh, of an aircraft carrier. And I think also for veterans, uh, hearing loss and tinnitus can have an extra negative effect, which is that they're permanent reminders of whatever the incident was that caused them to uh, arise in the first place. So if it was a a particularly brutal firefight, you know, then every time you adjust your hearing aid or every time you're kept awake by your tinnitus, you're reminded of the thing that caused it to happen, which isn't kind of multiplies the unpleasantness. Right. And that could contribute to other health problems common in veterans like PTSD and other things of that sort. Yes, it's often it's often uh, tied up uh, tied up in it. You can't make it go away, but what you do is you try to get better. First, you assure yourself that it's not caused by a tumor in your brain or um, or a stroke or something like that, and then you uh, you try to get better at ignoring it. And fortunately, our brains are pretty good at ignoring steady uh, background inputs. We evolved to be hyper-aware of sudden changes in our environment. So if there's a steady phantom noise, most of the time you can ignore it. If I pay attention, I can hear my tinnitus quite clearly all the time, even in a noisy environment. But I only usually think about it a couple of times a day. And then at night, people will often uh, run a fan or an air conditioner or a, a masking device that plays or a real sound that overwhelms the tinnitus, masks it. And sometimes I've been able to... I pretend to myself that the tinnitus itself is a sound that I'm playing on purpose to mask my tinnitus, and, and oh. occasionally that works too. That's <laughs> that's a clever solution. <laughs> Saves you from it's having a la- to. It's a, la- yeah, it's a lazy man's solution. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned obviously there are no treatments for tinnitus, and some of the things that you do personally to cope with it. Is that pretty much the the advice that doctors have to give to people? Just say try your best to to forget about it. 
pretty much. And uh, there are, you know, there are people who are working on it uh, who are, and there are some techniques that some people find effective, but no one has found a way yet to make it go away. And so very often if you, you sort of work on uh, helping the person live with this thing and, and, and then hope that somewhere uh, a cure comes along. And you had some really interesting examples in your book. Um, tinnitus is, is commonly ringing in the ears or what people perceive as ringing in the ears, but it's other types of noise too for some people. Yeah, there are versions that are just, I would say, almost impossible to ignore. And there's a young man uh, who has a hearing disorder uh, that's kind of the opposite of deafness. It's called hyperacusis. Everything sounds super loud to him to the point where he's in his 30s. He's lived at home with his parents uh, for the past five years. He can't work. He wears enormous earmuffs, even inside the house most of the time. He very seldom ventures out into the world. And when sounds, even very relatively quiet sounds, like someone crinkling up some paper, could be excruciating to him. He, it's not only that they're loud, he feels them as physical pain down his back and his neck. Wow. We talked, and he said that uh, that evening he might hear a phrase that I had said repeating over and over in his, in his head. I have another friend whose who's tinnitus has sometimes taken the form of what he said sounds like a group of men talking. He said sometimes he can almost hear what they're saying. An audiologist told me that some people hear music uh, playing. So these are different forms, much harder to ignore, but they're all the same. They all fall into the same category. They're not real sounds. They're phantom sounds. They're, it's electric, electrical activity in the auditory nerves. And people will ask and say, well, why don't why doesn't Bose make you know noise canceling headphones that that cancel tinnitus and hmm. and the reason they don't is that it's not a sound it's not a physical effect it's a brain problem not an ear problem brain problem not an ear problem what it's more like is um, the phantom limb pain that amputees often have somebody will have uh, a limb amputated and they still feel that it's there they they feel pain in it they feel itching they feel sweating and the reason it exists, people believe, doctors, uh, researchers believe, is that the, you know, the brain was used to receiving signals from that limb when it was there, and it no longer is. So it's making its best guess as to what that limb is up to. And tinnitus may be the same. The, it's, it, it's likely that it's caused by hearing loss in certain frequencies. The brain is no longer receiving signals at those frequencies, so it fills in the blanks with a, a phantom sound at the same frequencies. You say that people who notice trouble with their hearing wait an average of 10 years before they do anything about it, if they do anything at all, and contrast that to people get eyeglasses or contacts when they have trouble seeing. Um, most people will get them if they need them. So why is getting help for hearing different? I don't know. I think, you know, there's a stigma to hearing loss and people think of it as a sign of decrepitude. I have a friend who finally got, he needed hearing aids for a while. He finally went and got them and they changed, they changed his life. He could hear things uh, better than he could before. And he apologized to his doctor. He said, I'm, you know, I should have come four years ago. Uh, I'm sorry I waited so long. And the doctor said, you're not late. You're early. Most people wait much longer than you did. There was a show that Charlie Rose did back when he was on TV about hearing loss. And it, it was an hour-long show. There were uh, I don't know, seven or eight people sitting around a table. They talked about hearing loss and hearing aids and deafness and cochlear implants for an hour. And during that hour, Rose never mentioned that he was wearing two hearing aids. Wow. And there was a Nobel uh, Prize-winning physicist 
also at the table, and you could see his hearing aids, and he never mentioned that he had them. So my assumption is that in both cases, they were embarrassed by the fact that they uh, that they had hearing aids. They viewed it as a sign that they were old and decrepit, and that is a, a major uh, block for people who notice hearing loss. They they don't want to have those things in their ears. Another one is that they're incredibly expensive so far. Right. Um, they, it's a major expense. It's not covered by Medicare. It's rarely covered by health insurance policies. And so there's a real deterrent to the following up when you notice a hearing loss. That's that's changing too. And I think also, you know, you walk along the street, almost everybody has something sticking out of their ears now. They've got their AirPods or they have headphones on or they're, they have something. So just the fact that you have something noticeable in your ears is not as, uh, it doesn't carry the same message that it used to. And in fact, some of the hearing improvement devices that are starting to come on the market are more conspicuous than hearing aids used to be, than conventional hearing aids. And and it it makes me wonder if maybe if you're going to have something, you'd rather have it look like like, um, your earbuds rather than uh, something that looks like a medical device. So I think there's at least a, you know, there's some kind of a change coming in the way people think about having stuff sticking out of their ears and the the stigma may not last as long as it always has. There are a couple of challenges with with hearing aids in in comparison with glasses. One is if you have, uh, you know, when I got glasses, I was in fifth grade, I got, I could immediately, I could see perfectly when I, when I, I'm very nearsighted. When I put my glasses on, I can, you know, I have 20, 20 vision. Hearing loss isn't the same. Uh, if you have lost the ability to hear certain frequencies, hearing aids will not give that back. If you've destroyed the sensory cells that that, that receive those signals, uh, once they're gone, your ability to hear those frequencies is gone too. And so people, when they put on hearing aids for the first time, they're, also, they're often disappointed. And one of the, the classic responses to hearing aids is to wear them for a day or two and then put them in the drawer and say, you know, the heck with this, I'm not going oh, to put up with this. <laughs> but with hearing aids, you have to persist. You have to wear them uh, for weeks. To, you have to train your brain to hear with them. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a, a matter of educating your brain to receive this different kind of signal. The brain is incredibly adaptable. It's incredibly plastic. Uh, it, it is capable of extracting uh, useful information from even uh, highly deteriorated signals, but you have to give it a chance uh, to sort of do all its magic on, on altered inputs. So there, there are trade-offs with hearing aids, uh, trade-offs that don't, are different from the ones that there are with glasses. You have to make a commitment to, uh, to learn to use them and, but for people, you know, for people who need them, it's a, it's a big deal, and it's worth doing the the work that it that it requires because hearing loss is associated with all kinds of bad effects, especially as we get older. Right. You know, right. With, with social isolation, with dementia, with um, just uh, depression, and the reason is when you can't hear, you cannot interact with other people, mm-hmm. and you uh, you sort of withdraw from society and. It's not good. It's not. You know, it can lead to. It can. It's at least associated with cognitive decline. If you're on the lookout for it, you see sometimes a person who can't hear very well in conversation will do all the talking because if they don't stop talking, uh, they never have to respond to something that anybody else says. And I've noticed that a couple of times with people. I have a friend who I've always thought was just like a. Uh, sullen, um, 
mean person because at parties he'll just sit and kind of stare. Uh, but I'm sure now that the reason is that he can't hear and he's the personality type. He's much too stubborn ever to get hearing aids. Right. So Nor to admit he, that he can't hear what anybody else is saying. Right, exactly. And so, he, and, you know, it's not good for you. It's not, uh, it doesn't, uh, our brains need stimulation of other people. We're social creatures. And as you cut yourself off from that, uh, it has negative effects. Right. So the the investment of time and effort to getting a hearing aid could be worth the payoff that you would get from avoiding all these other health problems that come because you can't hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, the types of hearing aids that are available today. Obviously, I think people still do think of them as being very visible, being, you know, having certain qualities. But how are hearing aids today different than they used to be? Or are they not all that different uh, than what people may have in their minds? Uh, the technology is really mind-boggling in hearing aids. Uh, it, they're, they're tiny. Even the big ones are tiny. Uh, they do uh, a lot of uh, kind of processing magic in a very small space. And they have to, they have to be able to survive in a, in a hostile environment. The, you know, the moist inside your head uh, exposed to all kinds of things. And uh, they, have, they run for a week on a, on a battery the size of an aspirin tablet. And one reason that people always say, well, why doesn't Apple make hearing aids? Or why, why haven't all these other companies gotten into the hearing aid business? And sometimes they have uh, approached it and tried and realized that the technology is really daunting. Uh, you can't just use off-the-shelf processors. That's why almost every, every bit of technology in a hearing aid was developed by and for the hearing aid industry because there was nothing off the shelf that was small enough for capable of running on uh, low enough voltage uh, to work. And there's a trade-off in, in hearing aids between size and function. The, the emphasis in, because of the stigma, the emphasis in the industry is, has been on making hearing aids inconspicuous. But the smaller you make them, the farther you, you, the more you hide them inside the ear, the trickier it is to make them to make them work, uh, you give up fidelity. You you give up the ability to communicate with other devices that you have, or you 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 weaken that ability. So, for example, many people have Bluetooth-enabled hearing aids that let them um, use their hearing aids as though they were headphones, you know, Bluetooth headphones. But because hearing aids are so small and they run on such low-voltage batteries, they use a less robust version of Bluetooth than you use in your big headphones that you put on. So there's a trade-off between size and fidelity. I have a, a Bose product called Hearphones, which are noise-canceling headphones that also function the way hearing aids function. So I can turn down the sound of the world, uh, or I can turn it up, uh, and I can adjust it on my phone, and the fidelity is much greater than, the, than my hearing aids. Music sounds more like music, conversation sounds more like conversation, and I can adjust them myself. So if I'm in a restaurant sitting across from you and I'm having trouble hearing you, I can focus on you, I can adjust the sound of the restaurant around me. I have complete control over the set of how they function. The hearing aid industry has, has not incorporated that kind of user adjustability into their products. One researcher told me that hearing aid is now a device uh, but it, he says that eventually it will be a feature, uh, which is to say everybody now walks around with a computer in their, in their pocket. You have your phone, uh, and very often people have uh, listening device. You know, you have headphones on, you have earbuds, and there's no reason that those can't function together 
as a hearing improvement device. And there are devices now that you can buy for considerably less than conventional hearing aids that, that perform those functions. Mm-hmm. You just have to be willing to first to to be a little more conspicuous than uh, than hearing aids are, and then you and and also to take some to control them yourself to take to take some initiative in 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 managing these things. What usually typically happens now a difficulty that people have with hearing aids is you know you get your hearing aids adjusted by the audiologist then you go out to dinner with friends and you can't hear what anybody's there so you make an appointment to go back to your audiologist two weeks later and you go in and you say, two weeks ago when i was in, in a loud restaurant i had trouble hearing and then well now you're sitting in a quiet office mm-hmm. you have to describe the situation that you were in you know if you could pull out your phone uh and adjust your hearing aids right there and really adjust them why not so I think these are these are all changes that are coming. Hearing aids will improve. Presumably the stigma will decline as more and more people have them and uh, we'll all be better off. On that note, um, you mentioned that you've been fitted for hearing aids before. What is that process like? What should people be prepared for when they go in to have hearing aids uh, for the first time? It was kind of fun. The first... Uh, a technician cleared uh, wax out of my ears, and he showed I could watch on a screen with this little tiny oh, wow. camera. The, the the little pieces of wax that looked like they were the size of minivans, so were actually really tiny. <laughs> uh, and then I had a hearing test inside a, a standard uh, hearing test inside a booth, a, a soundproof booth, and the audiologist played. Um, tones and I had to I think I pushed a button uh, every time I, I heard a tone no matter how faintly and then uh, based on those results the audiologist could make a chart called an audiogram which showed where uh, in the range of frequencies where I had losses where I wasn't hearing in the normal range then once they had that information I was given a pair of hearing aids that were uh, you know adjusted to my a particular loss pattern, uh, which was pretty typical for you know somebody in his 60s uh, who used to go to rock concerts. <laughs> there are many different kinds. These were the the earpieces, the little speakers that went into the ear were open. They were just little matchstick size uh, things that went into my ear canal, but they left the ear canal, the area around it open. Uh, often, especially with more severe hearing loss, the audiologist will take a, a physical impression of the ear canal. They'll inject some goop into the ear and then make a hearing aid, a custom hearing aid that fits exactly into that space. I want to talk briefly about cochlear implants. Um, and I think most people who are not familiar with them, the popular perception is that they allow people who are hearing impaired to suddenly hear all these sounds that they've never heard for the first time. You see lots of videos online of people getting their their cochlear implants activated and then, you know, very emotional reactions. Um, is that what it's like for, for everyone? Uh, cochlear implants are miraculous, but they're usually not miraculous in quite the way that they seem in those videos. A cochlear implant is a, it's a, this tiny, tiny wire that's threaded into the spiral of the cochlea, which is the, this tiny, tiny thing in the inner ear. It's a part uh, that's it's a, a little bit larger than a miniature chocolate chip. If you imagine something that small, wow. it's, th- it's threaded in through there, and, and then it's attached on the outside to you know, what looks like a hearing aid. And, and what it does is it takes sounds, uh, it converts them to electrical signals, it bypasses the 
the middle ear, the inner ear, and, and sends those electrical signals directly to the nerves, the auditory nerves that lead to the sound centers in the brain. Uh, it's not full, rich, 100% what you hear if your hearing is unimpaired. You know, uh, Rush Limbaugh, who has cochlear implants now on both sides, that said the closest he could come to describing it is, um, you know, really scratchy, staticky uh, AM radio. Mm-hmm. People will sometimes say it sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks or it sounds like, um, uh, you know, sort of robot talk, old-fashioned robot talk. But it's miraculous. Uh, it's incredible. It, 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 it too, takes work. Uh, you have to work at it. Not everybody progresses at the same rate. Not everybody ends up with the same result. But for people... You know, it's an amazing thing. An audiologist described it to me as the the most remarkable prosthetic device for a sense that's ever been uh, created. But mm-hmm. it's just not exactly how people imagine it. Right. I, I sat in on a, a on an appointment on a one week appointment with a woman who had been in, implant. She'd been implanted before, and she was coming back to have her uh, implant adjusted. She had a powerful hearing aid on one side, a cochlear implant on the other. When I was talking with her. If I hadn't known why she was there, I never would have guessed that she had any hearing problem at all. We just had a normal conversation. We were looking at each other. I learned later that one of the things that she has done over the years with her hearing loss is learned to be to pay super attention to people who are talking to her. So she had supplemented her devices with uh, behavioral changes that that made it that helped her hear. But then I sat I sat in while she had a a word test inside a booth, and I was amazed at how many words she missed. Hmm. Uh, uh, she was given individual words, and um, I never would have, if I had seen only that, I would have assumed that she wouldn't have been able to hear me at all. So basically, it is when you get a cochlear implant, you're pretty much, your brain is having to get used to handling all these sounds that it's never been processing before? Is that sort of why there's such an adjustment period? It's that, and it's also, it's, it's also, it's a very it's a very stripped down signal. It's a, it's not like this full rich, uh, uh, signal that we get from our hearing music, for example, for people with cochlear implants, uh, doesn't sound like music. It's enough intelligible information to draw meaning from, but it's not the full spectrum of sound that somebody with unimpaired hearing, uh, is used to. So this woman, nevertheless, you know, she said she and her husband had done, had used FaceTime with their grandchildren just a few nights after she her implants her implant had been turned on and for the first time she didn't have to ask afterward what they had talked about she'd been able to hear it or she could hear you know a radio program that they were listening to in the car these were she'd gone out to lunch with a group of friends and by the end she realized it sounded weird at first by the end she wasn't even noticing the weirdness of it she was able to take part in something that she would not have been able to take part in before so when i say it's not exactly like what people assume it is based on those things you see on YouTube. It's nevertheless uh, a miraculous thing. Give us some basic tips that people should follow to, you know, do at least what they can to protect the hearing that they have, even maybe if you've lost a little bit of hearing already. Um, but, you know, what what are the everyday things people can do to protect their ears? I, car- I now carry a pair of what are called mu- musician's earplugs on my keychain, so I have them with me all the time. Musician's earplugs are, they uh, take down the sound by the total sound level across the full spectrum of frequencies by, I don't know, 20 or 25 decibels, something like that. But they don't, they do it e- evenly across all frequencies so that music still sounds like music. And you can get very expensive ones, the kinds that actual musicians 
might have that are custom fitted. These were, I don't know, they were fifteen or twenty dollars, something like that. And you know, if I'm walking uh, on a street in New York, which is just like you know, should have them on all the time. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you'd be walking on a street in New York, and there's a somebody doing it using a jackhammer, yeah, jackhammer, right and then, next a, to you. then an ambulance that comes by, and yeah. right, and gets stuck in traffic right next to you, and so. Uh, or riding on the subway, which is at you know this, the sound of a typical New York subway ride is at definitely at a level that over a sufficient period of time could could harm your hearing. So people in New York should probably be wearing them all the time. But even my wife and I went to see the movie Dunkirk, which is like from the opening credits to the end is a continuous explosion. Right. <laughs> and I, I put my earplugs on through it, and and at some point in the movie, I thought. Are these even doing anything? And I took one out. and I go, Oh my God! Yes, it is. You know, wow. it's, it's um, uh, not a so, lot of dialogue and, in that movie either. So <laughs> no, but I could still hear it. What little there was, I could hear it. Uh, so it had taken the the decibel level down to a comfortable level with without making it impossible for me to hear what people were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even I even wore them. I went to. Uh, to see Frozen 2 with my grandchildren. And, you know, movies, movies are loud, even movies if it's are not very warfare. Loud. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wore them at a, uh, at a you know, bluegrass concert, which was, was also loud. And uh, when watching TV with my mother-in-law, who we had, uh, we were watching the first episode of the third season of The Crown, and in order for her to hear it, we had to turn it up so loud that, loud that it was actually, I was uncomfortable listening to it. So I put on... I actually put on my Bose earphones and turned down the turned down the sound. Certainly, anybody who hunts, anybody who uses firearms, uh, should have hearing protection and really very, you know, double hearing protection. I talked to an audiologist in Texas, and he said he was much less worried about music uh, than he was about recreational shooting. And that may be more of a Texas issue than it is in some other parts of the country, but it's true. A single gunshot uh, can uh, can damage your hearing. And the solution is not as, I have to say, I used to do this and I certainly don't anymore, but to just put in your headphones or your earbuds and really turn up the volume over a loud sound. That's not a good solution. No, it's not. It's, it's compounding the problem. And the, you'll often see that somebody using a lawnmower and they oh, good, they have hearing protection on. But actually what they have is they're cranking the music so they can hear it over the lawnmower. And if you get it that loud, um, it it can't be good. You know, you think of the... You, you think at times too when, you know, you're sitting next to somebody who's listening to music on headphones, and you think, to me, sitting here, that is too loud. Mm-hmm. What can it possibly sound like in that person's head? Right, right. Are earbuds any? Um, you know, obviously, earbuds fit right inside your ears versus headphones that sit over your ear. Is there a difference in the, you know, the level of sound that you're getting from one versus the other? I think it's you know in both cases. People should be careful about how loud they turn them off, and there are reasons to be even more careful than people have always thought. You know, you'll often see people say, "Well, 85 or 90 decibels um, is a is the danger line." You know, it's kind of chainsaw or a lawnmower that you you yourself are pushing. It's that level that's damaging to ears. There's increasing. Uh, evidence that our ears can be damaged by sounds at much lower levels than that, and that the damage that that causes the reason that people haven't noticed is that damage it causes is done to these minute uh, neural connections inside the inner ear, basically where the inner ear plugs into the auditory nerves, and that if those nerve connections are destroyed, they can 
cause what's now what's called hidden hearing loss. It's not necessarily a good term. The better term for it would probably just be hearing loss. But what happens is that you can lose up to 80% of the sensory cells inside your ear before the loss will show up on uh, an audiogram, on a hearing test with an audiologist. And furthermore, it's believed that 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 neural damage is the first step always in sound-related hearing loss, that it's the nerve connection that goes first, and that the other uh, physical damage comes later. So there are reasons to be careful about sound levels that are lower than what is typically, than what people have typically thought to be uh, the problematic ones. So it's you know, it's not just the lawnmower and the chainsaw. We should all be careful. David Owen, it was fascinating talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. And as always, it's time for our tweak of the week. Clean your earbuds. If you use them, you know they can get nasty. Earwax, dust, and other debris can build up after a few wears. That can affect how well your devices work and it can harbor bacteria. You should check the instructions for your specific model, but here are some basic tips. If your earbuds have removable tips, take them off, wash them with a little water, and let them dry completely. To clean the earbud itself, wipe it with a soft, dry, lint-free cloth. If you've gotten something on them like sunscreen, bug spray, soap, or hair dye, you can make the cloth slightly damp. Just be sure to let them dry completely before you use them again. For the little mesh screen, use a dry cotton swab. If earwax or other gunk is really stuck, you can gently use a soft, clean toothbrush to remove it. Just be careful not to push it deeper into the screen. Never submerge your earbuds in water. If your pair comes with a charging case, don't get it wet either. Use a soft cloth to wipe it. If you need to, you can make the cloth slightly damp to wipe down the outside of the case. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you can tune in next time. Until then, keep up with WebMD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Bye for now.